Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Corey, and I am joined by spooky, spooky Brian Muldoon for the final installment of the Spooky Corner series. Yes, we are recording this on November 8th, (laughs) which is over a week after Halloween, but Halloween is a 365-day-a-year lifestyle, my dudes, so... You are right. Halloween is every day. And I'm stoked that I'm back. It's kind of sad it's the last one, but um, I'm really thrilled and grateful to be uh, having done it. Yeah, it's been awesome. I, I've, I've enjoyed having you for this uh, tour of, of spooks. And who knows, maybe we can do it again next year. Ooh. Please? Yeah. I don't think there's any shortage of material. So a lot of listeners seemed to enjoy it. They thought it was a fun little offshoot. That's nice. So maybe next year you can pull me out of the cupboard again uh, to talk more about spooky <laughs> stuff. But until in case then, no. Brian lives in a cupboard, <laughs> in a pretty spooky cupboard. I'm actually like really enjoying that we're doing this a week after Halloween because I just love Halloween so much, and I've actually kind of been sad that it's been over. I was actually telling friends of mine they were asking me about like Salem and and wanted to hear all about Salem, and I've been telling them how like. If I'm having trouble sleeping at night, I think about our trip to Salem because like, it was just a wonderful, magical Halloween celebration. Yeah. And it's like kind of a happy place for me now. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I want to live there right now. Yeah, me too, dude. Me too, dude. Beautiful bastion of all things like odd and wonderful. And I loved it. I loved it. Not to mention you've got beautiful New England scenery. Which is extra beautiful this time of year for sure exactly new england in the fall unreal yep so many colors it's great big fan so yeah it's it was kind of fun even though life is like absolutely insane for me right now hence why this episode got pushed to november 8th (laughs) it's still fun to like i was excited i'm like yay i get to go back into spook mode for a little while yeah, well, uh, how was your Halloween? You guys, the the art history babes, they all came to Chicago. Yes, they did. So Halloween, you know what? I'm just going to explain my life as of recently because Mercury retrograde is real. It has been absolutely insane for a, 
a myriad of reasons. We've had so many deadline, like book deadlines, big book deadlines. So the art history babes have been writing like crazy. For all you listeners out there who may have missed it, we're writing a book. It's very exciting. But yeah, so that's already like t- been taking over our life. And then and then we had Sofa Chicago this past weekend, which was awesome. It was a great thing to be a part of. We got to podcast live. We got to meet some listeners. We got to meet cool artists and gallery owners. And it was just a great experience. But it's also like if you've ever been involved in an art fair, it is like three days of just like go 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 and there's usually like a lot of drinking involved (laughs) so we had all that but then on top of everything the week leading up to sofa while we were doing all of our like book writing there was a teacher strike in chicago and so the kiddos were around all the time don't get me wrong support the teachers but like that was a lot and then also a uh, little field mouse made his way into my bedroom and Aww. decided to live here for about a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's going tough out there, even for cheese nappers, you know? Yeah. So I was basically exiled from my bedroom because we had to like try and catch this mouse. And after seeing it a couple times, I was like, I don't really want to sleep in the same room as this mouse and like we thought the mouse was gone we thought like we found the hole we thought we had like filled it up we thought the mouse was gone Mm -hmm. and so i finally moved back into my room the night before halloween and then on halloween i wake up i'm sitting in my bed working on book stuff and i see our little friend dart (laughs) under my bed he just darted across the room under my bed and i was like (laughs) son of a bitch so so, like and i'm expecting you know this is halloween day the rest of the babes are coming into chicago that day i'm expecting all sorts of company it's halloween the kids are home because the teachers are on strike so it kind of our house just turned into like an all-day Halloween party basically like it's just Mm -hmm. a very busy day and now there's a mouse in my room so I leave my bedroom take what I need I try to stick towels and stuff under my door so the mouse at least stays in my room so hopefully we can catch him yeah and so I was like we'll just if he can't get out because we had closed up the, the hole, we'll just like keep him in the room. And then I like went about my day. I was like, I'm going to get in the bath. I'm going to take a nice, relaxing, meditative bath. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as this is all happening, speaking of Merc- Mercury retrograde, it's snowing outside. First snow of the year in, in Chicago. Snow's coming down. All of my friends' flights are delayed. <laughs> Every single <laughs> no. one of them. <laughs> so I'm talking to Jen, Ginny, and Natalie. They're all on various, you know, tarmacs in, in California just waiting because all their flights are delayed. They don't even know if they're going to make it here. And I was just like, I, I, need, I need to just go chill out. So I go to take a bath and I'm sitting in the bath trying to chill out. And our little friend, the mouse sneaks under the bathroom door (laughs) while I am in the bathtub. (laughs) So I scream and then jump out of the bath and I grab a towel and then I, I run out of the bathroom and I close the door and I'm like, okay, I have to get him. Like I could just run away. I could just like run upstairs. Yeah. But like, this is insane. This has been going on for a week. Like I have to get this little dude. So I run upstairs really fast and I grab a metal pot and then I run into my room and I grab my rain boots. Cause I didn't want the mouse to like run over my feet. Right. Mm-hmm. So I am in only a towel and rain boots wielding a metal pot 
and I'm like, I'm going to get this mouse. So I like open the door and the mouse is hiding in the back corner, like back behind the toilet. And so I start like moving shit around to get the mouse to move. And he starts darting back and forth to try and get away from me. And as I mentioned, I am only in the towel and mice move really fast. So the towel does not stay up during this process. (laughs) So I am then completely naked in rain boots trying to capture a mouse. (laughs) And so I'm just following him back and forth. And then he like knows he's caught, but he, so he tries to dart out the door. And as he tries to dart, I I throw the pot down and it catches him. I've caught the mouse. Uh I text my cousins. I am now the superhero of the house for catching the mouse. (laughs) And like, I'm not going to lie to you. I felt so powerful. Like I felt felt so badass for catching this little mouse. But yeah, it was just, it was, it was wild. Wow. The drama of it all. My gosh. I know. So much drama. So much drama. But then to finish out my Halloween, all the babes ended up making it. All their flights got here safely, albeit a little late. And we all got dressed up in our costumes, which if you follow us on Instagram, you know that we were all Winona Ryder for Halloween from different movies. And I mean, Brian, you've seen the pictures. I don't know what you think, but I think I think we killed it. Yeah, looked great. I thought it looked great. Y'all look great. Thanks. I appreciate that. So we went out and had a great time. It was awesome. And then the next few days we were at Sofa. Also awesome. And then now we're back doing more book stuff. So it's just been a whirlwind. Nonstop. Of a good time. Anyways, how was your Halloween? <laughs> oh, it was spooky. It was great. I celebrate Halloween like the September 1st through October 31st. So every year, by the time I get to Halloween, I am exhausted. <laughs> And it's like, I just want to, I just want to watch some movies today, which is what I did again this year. But throughout the whole season, I went to, I made a trip to LA, did the Halloween Horror Nights, Not Scary Farm. I did all of that. I, I made it uh, to Salem with you. I uh, did a bunch of other stuff here in New York City. So I got the, I, I, I experienced it. I got my full, oh, and I did a horror movie a day for every day of October. So, which was successful and it was very fun. Um, and it was great. It was great. Great Halloween. Yeah, you miss it already. You did it, my dude. You did Halloween. Oh, dude. You got it. How, how can you forget the costume that you did with walls? Because that was. Oh, that yeah. was on point, my dude. Oh, yeah. We were Frankenstein's monster and the Bride of Frankenstein. And we did our own makeup and costumes. And it turned out so good. It did. Oh, man. It was so it good. It really did. We'll we'll post a picture on the on the Instagram along with this episode yeah. so y'all can see. It was so good. I'm particularly proud of, of Walls' hair because she made the hair in the same shape that's in the movie. Yeah, you know, yeah. Because Bride's hair goes like back at a 45 degree <laughs> angle, you know, up. And so she got really crafty and uh, I don't want to maybe reveal her trade secrets, but how she managed to do it. But yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a great party. Had some great friends. We had, a, it was a costume party. Uh, a lot of different th- people showed up, but there was one friend that showed up at the last minute and he just put together a bike messenger costume and brought a bottle of wine in a prime Amazon prime bag for us. It was hilarious. <laughs> uh, it was, of all the costumes. That was great. Yeah, it was great great time and uh so yeah this all happened and um effectively led us to push back this really hot topic 
a few weeks, but I'm glad we're now getting together and talking about it. Me too. Me too. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for listening to our Halloween anecdotes. Hopefully you enjoyed those. (laughs) But today we are talking about zombies. Zombies. Have you heard of them? I, you know, once or twice. Yeah. Yeah. They're only everywhere. This is the, we live in a uh, society. We live in a society that is obsessed (laughs) with zombies. It is a cultural zeitgeist that is not going away. Um, it's just getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> I made this joke, I think, a few times that maybe it wasn't even me the first one who made the joke, but we live in a time that is almost too ready for a zombie apocalypse. You know what I mean? Like we are. Yeah, yeah. We just, I feel like we just want it at this oh, point. Oh, 100%. And actually, I'm going to kind of talk about that a little bit. The almost kind of messed up desire for a zombie apocalypse and like why that's super problematic (laughs) i mean we'll get into this but i i just didn't know really anything about the history of zombies and in researching it man the fucking history is so complicated and problematic and like it really sheds a, a very interesting light on this like yeah this this weird kind of perverse desire for a zombie apocalypse that like contemporary culture seems to have yeah oh yeah and it's been it's really been glamorized uh and it did not start that way at all i mean the history of it and it is inherently sociopolitical and much of its progression into film was very sociopolitical and now i think it's it's more commonly an action adventure horror you know 100 percent, which is also interesting um, but we'll talk more on that. I think it takes a similar path or, or it follows a similar development as the Wendigo, mm-hmm. which we yeah, talked oh, about, so. mm-hmm. that had very intense social political implications. Like the context of the history is incredibly meaningful, but over time, you know, fucking capitalism got its hands on it and it just became kind of devoid of the actual meaning behind it and yep. was turned into something completely different yeah well do we, we want to talk about where it started yes yes we do i'm not gonna go into too much detail here because it's actually it's just very violent and and, and rough and there are a lot of really great resources that i think explain all of this in a way much better than i can so i will point you to those resources to read and to get the full history mm-hmm. The, the word zombie, the concept of the zombie, mm-hmm. it originates with the struggle of Haitian slaves mm-hmm. due to colonial bullshit, basically. And it really was a myth, the story that the zombie was kind of expressing and trying to represent was was basically the struggle that slaves were experiencing with their own bodily autonomy, mm-hmm. essentially. Like, yeah. they did not feel their bodies belong to themselves. Mm-hmm. And so there was a desire for an afterlife in which they regain control over their body. And many slaves used this idea and it became a way to discourage suicide There was a lot of suicide going on prior to the Haitian Revolution within populations of slaves. Mm -hmm. And so there was this fear that if you committed suicide, you didn't get to achieve this afterlife where you regain bodily autonomy. Instead, you would essentially become 
something similar to what we think of today as the zombie. You yep. would not have control over your body. Right. And I think that comes from talking about the afterlife. That's it's very interwoven with the idea of the soul. Yeah. And the soul once the once the your body passes and your body joins regains the earth and is your soul moves on and goes on its own journey. And the whole idea of the zombie, at least in Haitian voodoo beliefs, was that a zombie was created by a sorcerer who would trap that soul. They would kidnap, mm -hmm. it would steal that soul so the body could not move on. It was in this perpetual state of purgatory, but the body was then this lifeless worker that was devoid of will existing just to do the sorcerer's bidding. So it's this like horrible, horrible end where your your body is not your own. Your soul is trapped in wherever the sorcerer puts it and and you exist only to serve, which drawing from slavery, that, that's essentially what it was, you know, to to so many people. Did you read anything on like the actual real life cases of like the zombification and all that? I did. I actually like remember researching that like years ago. I don't even remember how I, I learned about it. And there are some like quote unquote reported real life cases, but I heard that those aren't very reliable necessarily. So so there was a really famous case of this Haitian man, Clairvius Narcisse, and he was reported he came to the hospital one day feeling nauseous, not well. Hours later, he was pronounced dead. He was buried. Like 18 years later, he shows up again on the street, finds his sister, and turns out that he never died ever. He was instead poisoned by a really evil person and dug up the body, which was not dead. It was just very close to death and was then enslaved to work on a sugar plantation for almost two decades before the slaver perished. But that story, which the logistics of the poisoning that put him into this like comatose state has been really disputed of whether or not that would actually happen. Yeah. Or if it, or if it would actually work. Like, right. Exactly. Because I, I think they haven't been able to like, I mean, obviously they wouldn't try to recreate this on a human. That would be an ethical nightmare, but they haven't really been able to prove that that would actually be a thing. Right. Right. And that's the, the yeah. So that, that story even though it could be, it's very possible it's debunked and it didn't happen, uh, or, or that that it maybe didn't happen is the way it was said. What did come from that is a like, especially in research circles, a lot of people were looking into this. It was a man, Wade Davis, was the one who first reported all of this this story mm -hmm. and wrote it in this book, The Serpent and the Rainbow, which actually was adapted later on in 1998, uh, starring Bill Pullman. So that was very much in the air while this was all became huge. But actually, and we'll get back into that later because the zombie movies came earlier than this. So it's interesting to see that the time overlaps. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So if you you want to read more about the history, um, we'll obviously have our sources linked up on the Art History Babes website, but it's really easy to find some like really great sources. If you just Google NPR, BBC, The Atlantic have all done pieces breaking down the history of zombies from the roots, the Haitian roots, and then into what it has become today which is very similar to what we talked about with the Wendigo. The zombie was 
as it developed in earlier incarnations, it was this tale that was supposed to teach you or like ward you off from things like consumerism. And over time, it has become just like this this shining example of consumerism of media in contemporary culture. Yeah. So it followed, I think it just followed a very similar trajectory in that way. There's this really great line in the Atlantic piece by Mike Mariani. And he says, the zombie is no longer a commentary on consumerist culture as it was in the comparatively halcyon days of Dawn of the Dead, which I'm sure you're going to talk about. Yep. It has consumed consumerist culture. So just something that is important to keep in mind as a theme. We're going to go through all of the zombie movies. And I think it's just like very telling to keep this idea in mind as we move through this timeline. Yeah. And we'll talk as I'm, I have lots to talk about, as you uh, all already know, zombies in film are everywhere. There is a long history of them and they have many iterations and many, I mean, and it's interesting you say consumerism because yeah, that is a popular motif, uh, like a metaphor with the zombies, but there are so insert any sociopolitical like idea or thesis and you can put it through the backdrop of zombies because mm -hmm. I think really what it is, it's a fear of groups of people, right? It's a fear yes. of a, a mindless sort of horde that you cannot reason with. You can only run from. Yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. And that's that that is evident in so many things. I mean, I'm surprised we're ha we haven't found a uh, like a a real zombie movie that has reflected these last couple years, you know, in in politics. Is I feel like it's it's ripe for it because it's always been so directly closely connected to current events. Some filmmaker, some artist will find a way to put it through this lens, as in any horror movie. But I feel like zombie movies are particularly uh, what's the word dexterous in telling those kind of stories oh of, damn that was a good word dexterous yeah i like there that we go. <laughs> yeah very dexterous in navigating those kind of social anxieties but so should we jump in do you want to do you want to talk about anything else before we start talking about some like spooky movies i do want to talk about some other stuff but i'm going to save it for the end yeah before we jump in to movies let's take a quick commercial break We've returned, and we are talking about zombies. Zombie, zombie, zombie. Yes. So, Brian, being our resident film aficionado, tell us about some zombie movies. Zombies. Okay, yeah, so <laughs> we have that to start. That was such a cute little zombie voice. <laughs> zombie. Um, we got to start with the 1932 movie, White Zombie which stars Bela Lugosi, as we all know, uh, of Dracula fame. And he, very similar to uh, sinister levels as Dracula, he stars as a white slaver named Murder. His name is Murder. And he commands an army of slaves to work on his sugar plantation. And he makes these slaves through voodoo practices of zombification, which we mentioned earlier. You can do some more research on on how they've done it. It's, it's really grisly what it all it takes to make a real zombie. But that's where it first started, which obviously directly commented on what we spoke about earlier, that the idea of zombie literally symbolizes and comments on 
slavery and that that a, a zombie is a mindless worker and this was in white zombie this was pretty as literal as you can get that then progresses to there's a few more movies between 1932 and this 1966 hammer horror film the plague of the zombies which are also very important like that walk with the zombie it was another one this one the plague of zombies directed by john gilling told of a corner squire john carson that returns from haiti as a voodoo adept and sets out to creating a zombie workforce as his own cheap labor in his tin mine so another story of the bit of appropriating here too taking what you've learned from another culture and and bringing it over here for Mm -hmm. nefarious reasons there's also a few more movies here and there it's kind of peppered in and it does not have as much of a cultural impact as did the hugely important 1968 George Romero first film, Night of the Living Dead. We all know Night of the Living Dead, and I'm sure you do too, even if you haven't seen it, because famously, George Romero never copyrighted the movie. So in every horror movie ever, if there's a horror movie on the screen in that movie, it's Night of the Living Dead because it's in the public domain. (laughs) And so... um, Right here, right here is where we're going to insert an audio clip from Night of the Living Dead. Dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. They're coming to get you, Barbara. In the opening scene. (laughs) I can say that because it's public domain, not copy. And so this movie... I just want to take a quick second and say this movie not even not just made zombies huge in cultural uh, importance. It also basically created the modern horror movie. And so if you haven't seen Night of the Living Dead, I oh my gosh, it's free. It's public domain. Go ahead and check this out because <laughs> you're going to see I'd be so surprised if you didn't come out of that movie saying like, "Oh man, it was so cliché. It did all these different stuff." It's not cliche. This is the one that started all those cliches. This is the the mm-hmm. <laughs> origin of the modern horror. The, the it basically brought gore and nihilism to horror, which surprisingly wasn't there really prior to this. Yeah, was, that's so interesting, right? In this movie, talking again about socio political. Uh, messages this movie stars Dwayne Jones an African-American man as the lead Ben who holds up in this house this white house with a few other survivors during a zombie uprising the dead coming from the grave and they're which is also a new thing this movie does. The zombies eat people in this one. They're all cannibals that did not happen until this movie. All of these survivors are holed up into a house, and the commentary in this movie is the scariest thing is not outside trying to get in. It's what's inside. So there's a there's a power struggle between our lead, Ben, our hero, and the there's a white family in there with another patriarchal figure that is struggling to cope with taking orders from this other man. There's a really famous line in this movie. The other family, they've been they've been holed up in the basement, not helping at all, while Ben has been boarding up all these doors. Um, and he tries to come upstairs and give Ben orders, and Ben famously gives that the line, "You can be the boss down here, but up here I'm the boss." Which, as far as like cultural impact of just seeing a 
black man on screen, especially at a time like this was 1968, where this is the same year Martin Luther King and JFK were both assassinated. This was their struggles of America really assimilating to the civil rights movement. It's still struggling to assimilate. But the image of seeing that happen, I remember when I went back and watched this a few years ago, really for the first time, and was just shocked at like, oh my God, this is like, this is groundbreaking. This was nobody talking about it. And then I did more research. Yes, everyone's talking about it. This is huge. Um, <laughs> Literally everyone, everyone is talking about, about it. it. Um, and even more famously, George Romero, still to his death, he always said that he hired Dwayne Jones because he was the best actor that came in the room, not because he was black. If you haven't seen it, I'm so sorry. I'm about to spoil it. If you don't, we can just you, you know fast forward a few seconds. But the movie did come out in 1968. I'm going to tell you the ending. Um, <laughs> so uh, you, you don't really have much of an excuse. <laughs> The movie ends with Ben being the sole survivor of this whole night. He He's the one that makes it night arise. There are local police basically going up and rounding up and shooting zombies in the head, which is another thing this one's brought to the zombie lore is that you can only kill zombies by shooting them in the head. Thank you, Night of the Living Dead. They did that. The closing shot of this movie features Ben coming out and saying, hey, I'm in here. All the local police mistake Ben for a zombie. They shoot him and they throw him into a pile of all the other other zombies to burn. It is like just so bleak. It is such a sad, like you, cause you root for this guy, the whole movie, he makes it to the end and then it's, you know, races, local police that kill him. And that's, that's, that's the ending point. That's like the last message that the last shot of the movie. It's so sobering. And again, using the zombies as a backdrop, it wasn't the, it showed that the scariest things in our society weren't these <laughs> cannibalistic living dead trying to kill us. It was really what's the status quo when that that all goes away you know Mm -hmm. so night of the living dead huge film very important check it out it's so good and in case you forgot it's public domain (laughs) god bless him i feel so bad but also (laughs) i had this conversation recently and that if it wasn't public domain i wonder i'm curious at how much of a cultural impact it would have had yeah yeah you know what i mean if it Mm -hmm. wasn't as easily widespread available as, no, you know, that's if, dude. Accessibility is everything. Like it's huge. No matter what it is, the more eyes you have on something, the the more impact it's going to make. I agree. But Undeniable. also, I just want George Romero. Even though he, we all recognize him as the father of one of the fathers of horror and the creator of the zombie genre. I just wish he would have gotten more praise for it because yeah, he's such a good yeah, guy, for sure. So anyway, I mentioned that that movie. The follow-up movie, Dawn of the Dead, which you brought up earlier with consumerism, took 10 years to make that the follow-up movie. It was much more a uh, bigger budget, whereas Night of the Living Dead was like shaky and black and white and grangy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dawn of the Dead was a much sleeker. There was a, there was a full plot throughout the whole movie. But it basically follows a group of survivors that are held up in a shopping mall while the zombies are trying to get in. It is just that consumerism metaphor is right there full of front and center Mm -hmm. but still sobering that all of these people find the most comfortable place to go during this zombie uprising is a shopping mall and walking around the shops just like basically these zombies are doing the same there is a quote i've been a really i'm so sorry butcher his name slavov zizek i think his name is ah slavov zizek you know him he's yes i i know him personally (laughs) dude well tell him hi He has a quote that is famously attributed to basically zombie movies that it is easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. 
witch. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah, that's real. And so Dawn of the Dead brought in, whereas Night of the Living Dead brought in, you know, racial fears and the status quo that was very scary. Dawn of the Dead brought in consumerism that hordes of people blindly just buying things and contributing to something else that doesn't really matter is what that one brought. Mm-hmm. And at this point, oh, it also brought us Tom Savini. He was the, he's the makeup master that came on for this one. I don't know if you know Tom Savini. He's done makeup for so many horror movies. You know his work if you don't know his name. He came on this movie after serving as a combat photographer in Vietnam, uh, which he attributes to a lot of experience seeing the images he has to the gruesome makeup that he made for all of these movies. That is fascinating. Right? And so oh my gosh it's gross the stuff that's in the movie is pretty gross and he is the gruesome wizard that put that all together and correct me if i'm wrong but there have been several examples i think particularly in that time frame of zombies being a metaphor for like the vietnam war yeah isn't there 100 percent very much so. You could even make that argument in Night of the Living Dead that it was there too because what made Vietnam was so crazy was crazy was seeing the footage on the television and the horrors mm-hmm. happening in real time. Same thing happened in Night of the Living Dead. You'd have the local news stations repeating there's this horror that's happening out here. People are seeing the footage. So after this, we now get into because I don't want to okay, I literally you could spend entire books talking about the impacts that George Romero himself has made on his zombies, but there are many versions. And I'm sure people have. I'm sure there are plenty of resources out there. I've read a few. Yeah, they're great. (laughs) They're all out there. And I don't, and I don't want to do a disservice by trying to fit all in because I I can't. So I think instead let's, let's move around because zombies has come up in a lot of different ways and a lot of different forms as well. Another movie that, took a twist on the zombie is the uh, 1985 movie reanimator based on hp uh, lovecraft's short story of the same name that follows herbert west played by brilliant jeffrey combs who is uh, like a basically a mad scientist that finds a an elixir a serum that can reanimate dead tissue so this introduces starts to introduce a lot with some other movies the more science into the zombies by bringing them back from the dead they're not themselves. They're not. They don't have the personality. Just reanimates the tissue of them, so mm-hmm. they become this like walking husk of a basically commenting on the scary things that the pharmace- pharmaceutical and scary field can bring. That's not natural. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, it also brings in some real dark humor to it all. It's very funny. It's a very funny movie. A bit dated now, if you go back and watch. But Herbert West as a character is one of the greats, I feel. That it brings us also to Return of the Living Dead of the same year, 1985, which brought another famous trope to zombies that I'm sure you all know, that zombies eat brains. That didn't happen until this movie, Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, I, I mean, I would say that's probably the first thing that, at least in contemporary American culture, like... You would think, right? Yeah, whenever zombies come up, it's like brains. Like, that's like the... The first neural connection my mind makes. Which is fascinating because it came from a movie that, I i mean, I love Return of the Living Dead. I think it's a fun movie, but it is not the, the cultural phenomenon that things like Night of the Living Dead or Dawn of the Dead were. And we're now at, you know, 1985 and the first zombie film was 1932. 
You know, it's like it's nearly 50 years later that finally brains come into the picture. This is another movie that brings in humor to it. It follows a group of like punk youth kids that stumble on basically this toxic waste that the military is trying to cover up that creates zombies. So that's bringing more military insecurities into the movie and it also brings in a lot of humor tar man is like the mascot for the movie he's like a zombie that's is aptly called tar man he's covered in tar <laughs> straightforward like <laughs> yeah look up a picture it, you'll be like yeah yeah that's tar man <laughs> so moving away from like the strict definitions of zombies and going more into I guess just reanimating bodies. The Evil Dead series also explored this, and they're not, you know, these movies don't explore hordes of people all coming down upon a small group of people, which the other ones have. This one instead is more scared of, we were talking about the doubling with the doppelganger, Mm -hmm. the body Mm -hmm. of somebody else not being what you were recall they are or you I, you are familiar with right so in the evil dead series there is the there's an economicon the book of the dead that can bring in evil spirits that basically possess not just bodies they're in evil dead 2 there's like lamps and taxidermy that gets possessed it's, it's just all over the place that, that, that things that are familiar then suddenly become very unfamiliar it's hilarious the second one is the first one's not hilarious seeing the familiar suddenly unfamiliar and that's terrifying even there's even some body horror in there especially in evil dead two uh, even one yeah both of them it happens to both of them where his hand becomes possessed and he ash williams our hero of the story bruce campbell has to cut off his own hand because he can't trust it it's all it's possessed a lot of fun hijinks in that whole scene and it's good bloody fun if you haven't seen evil dead 2 it's one of my favorite movies but that i feel like is loosely connected enough to bring up in the zombie talk and then after that it really was a lull throughout the 90s in zombie movies before it really got resurrected with the 2002 mm. movie i'm sure you know mm. 28 days later by danny boyle and whereas by this time i'm talking about you know reanimator return of the living dead evil dead humor mm-hmm. was full swing this these were funny you know what i mean and then out comes 28 days later out of the gate with just dead serious we opened the start of the movie is killian murphy walking around a barren uh london that is just devoid of any people and that's like the scariest part of the movie is just walking you know waking up in a hospital bed and, and scrubs and just no one's there everyone's gone yeah yeah really a feat in filmmaking and shooting that downtown london with no people like yeah how did they how did they do that <laughs> I, I read at one point and i don't know if it's true so i don't want to like say it again but whatever however they managed to do it it was fascinating uh and kudos because the the payoff is incredible i still remember that scene mm-hmm. from that movie that also <laughs> we're talking about zombies i feel like the, the people are quick to say in this movie they weren't zombies they're infected this rage virus that's another thing that, that we're starting to get loose away from the actual zombie lore that it can be mixed and molded and move away from what it was i mean just the notion that it's a virus that it's like yeah something you right. catch like i feel like that was something that developed over time. Right. And it and the rage virus in the movie does come from 
evil animal testing that they were doing at the beginning. So it was primates that got loose that had this rage virus that that spread the disease. And so really what this movie brought, I think, to the this cultural zeitgeist that we're in right now is the apocalypse movie, right? That the, mm. like, what is life going to look like when, when all the rules are out the window and society just, like, falls, right? That that is so appealing, I feel like, to our culture right now that we just have to have. Oh. We have, like, what, what, what if... There weren't any rules. What if we just said, you know, fuck all to it all and it all burnt down and like we started our own societies. And like I feel like that is that is hot right now. And it's usually through the zombie lens, but not exclusively. I think there's many I think that apocalypse movies maybe are now are not even maybe, they're definitely they're ditching the zombie aspect and going straight for apocalypse. Now. Yeah, I, I was gonna say for me personally, because I definitely I understand the attraction and, and the interest in that uh, narrative and like the exploring of of apocalyptic imagery. It's something I'm very fascinated in. And, and to be fair, apocalyptic imagery is something that has been around forever. Like there is a lot of art that was made about like revelations in the Bible. You know, right. like there's there's apocalyptic imagery is definitely nothing new. And I agree. I think because we're in such a shift right now and technological Logically, socially, whenever big paradigm shifts happen, thinking about the apocalypse is very common throughout all of history. And I definitely understand that. But for me personally, I've never latched onto the idea of the zombie apocalypse because it just seemed too silly to me. Like, yeah, I, I love like apocalypse movies. Like, do you remember Melancholia with Kirsten Dunst? (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. I like like the weird, dark, <laughs> mysterious apocalypse. The idea of these like zombies walking around that are going to eat you. Like I'm, I don't know. To me, I'm just like, but that's not how it's going to happen. Like, <laughs> like it just doesn't right, feel right. to me. This is completely personal, subjective approach. But to me, it just doesn't. It doesn't scratch that itch for me because it doesn't feel. Like I'm actually exploring what could happen in the apocalypse, if that makes sense. Yeah, I do think it makes sense. I think that maybe the zombie apocalypse, you could you could look at it through the lane, specifically a zombie apocalypse, look at it through the lens of I don't understand, I don't get all of these people. I don't under, I don't recognize the world that I'm in and understand that, you know, to mm-hmm. become a zombie, you get bitten by another zombie, how quickly and how fast I could assimilate to that world that I don't like, you know, that, um, how easy it is to join the other side. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that take on it because it connects to notions of the other, you know, which is also a, yeah, that's all of history, right? Like one group is just afraid of the other, which is another group. That's all, that's all history is made of, at least from the point of like societies and civilization is like, there is us and there's them. And, and it's, it's a, it's a struggle that just, keeps repeating itself over and over again and so i do i really like how you frame zombies through that lens because that makes a lot of sense to me because in a way when you look at a group as other to you you are you're you're turning them into a monster you're turning them in to something that exactly that you can't understand that you can't communicate with and that is going to hurt you And that's what you're doing in your mind. And so the zombie, yeah, is a 
is a perfect visual representation of that. Mm-hmm. And even more so bringing the apocalypse part, not just the monster that you can become, but the, the fantasy of protecting yourself from them, like at all costs. Yes, you know? yes. Which then brings into, it's not a movie, but this, like I said, 2002 brings in this post 9-11 era that we are now in of scary, don't recognize the world we're in. So zombies are, yeah, let's look at through that lens. 28 Days Later came out. We also have the book, The Zombie Survival Guide, which is a huge release by Max Brooks, who also wrote World War Z, which also became a big, huge blockbuster film, but all about this fantasy of like, how would I survive it? How would I defend myself from it? And how would I, you know, create my own society after this? And how attractive of a concept that is to some to many people it wouldn't be such a uh, phenomenon if it wasn't yeah actually i feel like this is just a perfect time to bring this up so speaking of that going back to the article i was talking about in the atlantic the title of it is the tragic forgotten history of zombies by mike mariani and i wanted to read this this passage that speaks exactly to that idea he's basically talking about how the zombie has now become a form of escapism, right? For Americans. Yeah, very much like, so. Yep. It, mm-hmm. it is an escapist fantasy. And I feel like that's exactly what you were just describing. And I just wanted to read this little passage from it. Hence, a bitter irony between the Haitian zombie and its American counterpart. The monster once represented the real-life horrors of dehumanization. Now it's used as a way to fantasize about human beings whose every decision is exalted. While it's difficult to begrudge the storytelling logic of wiping out the many to restore meaning and importance to the few, it's still worth acknowledging the bleak asymmetry of the zombie then and the zombie now. The original emerged in a context where humans were denied control of their own bodies and sought death as an escape. And now in pop culture, the zombie has come to serve as the primary symbol of escapism itself, where the fictional enslavement of some provides a perverse kind of freedom for everyone else. Oof. Yeah. Right? It's hit right on the nail there. Right? I, I just, I thought that was so well put because he's not, you know, denying that there is important, valuable storytelling tool that is at work here. There's a right. reason why these stories of zombies have the effect they do on people. And it's also, you know, escapism. All stories are escapism to a certain degree. Like escapism isn't necessarily bad. In fact, I think you could argue that escapism is necessary to make it through life sometimes. Sure, sure. But the juxtaposition of just using the zombie as a form of uh, escapism when you're living in a incredibly privileged position as an American in the United States in the 21st century compared to where the zombie actually came from. Like there's some harsh reality to come to terms with there, you know? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's chilling. It's sobering. And it is only gets worse as we go on through this list. Before we jump into more stuff, do we want to take another quick ad break? Yeah, we can. Yeah, let's get those ads in there. Let's get those ads so, you know, I can, like, pay my student loans. (laughs) Okay, we are back. I hope you enjoyed that message from our sponsors. We're talking about zombies. Talking zombies. Zombies. (laughs) I I love it because your zombie voice, I don't know. I picture like a little, like some kind of little creature, like a gremlin. (laughs) 
Yeah, little gremlin zombie. Yeah. Um, <coughs> sorry. Um, my oh, gremlin man. came out. Uh, so yeah, moving on from the uh, World War Z, the the zombie survival guide, we start getting a little funny again. Thankfully, Shaun of the Dead came along in 2004. Oh, yeah! Shaun of which, the Dead. Which did something very similar, I think, to that Scream did in the 90s, where it brought uh, um, some real levity while making fun of tropes that just part of the cultural knowledge of every zombie trope ever. Even if you haven't seen a zombie movie, maybe you know everything there is to do about a zombie, just because it's so interwoven in our pop culture. Shaun of the Dead definitely played off of that, while also being scary in its own right right that same thing happened in the scream movies and that same thing happened with zombie land that i think Shaun of the dead uh did better so we don't have to go into zombie land <laughs> but uh, <laughs> oh you're not a, <laughs> not a fan fired. of zombie land no, i think zombie land's wow. fine i think they're they're doing the same thing though right they're brian they're... <laughs> brian i've known you for a long time and literally every time you say no it's fine it means you don't like it <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> oh, man. So, Shaun of the Dead, go check it out. Um, we... <laughs> I, I, I honestly am kind of curious what your criticisms of Zombieland are, just because it's zo- such a loved movie. It you is know? a loved movie, and it's a loved movie for the same thing reasons, I think, that Shaun of the Dead is, is loved. It's like, oh, man, it's making, it's like a fun, you know, buddy movie in a in a, a zombie apocalypse, you know, and it's, it, it's two different comedies. I don't know. I think I think Shaun of the Dead was more dry British humor, and then Zombieland mm. is the the I guess the American counterpart, whatever that would, would mean to yeah. that, right? No, that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. but I think it's just my own personal preference and taste. I thought Shaun of the Dead one they did it first, and two, uh, it was funnier. Now, uh, <laughs> <laughs> moving on. So we also that brings us basically to today, right? We have. There's so many wonderful zombie movies that I haven't talked about. Plenty out there that are fantastic and they're finding new ways to do different things because let's be honest, it is a really tired genre. I feel like at this point, you bring up zombie and you're like, oh my God, you got to really have some new twist to it or I'm not going to be in it, right? Exactly, exactly. Like it is. I mean, I know it's me being a fucking hipster, but like the zombie became such a thing that I kind of was just like over it. I right. was like, yeah, zombie apocalypse. Ha, ha, ha. Like, yeah, I agree. like, so yeah, it, to do it, like you, I feel like you gotta, you gotta be coming at it from a different angle now. Yeah. And I, and there are, and they're still finding angles to bring it about. Think in recent memory, if you just need a few, if you're hungry for a zombie movie, but I want it to be good there, there is uh, the Korean movie train to Busan is incredible if you need another one there is the girl with all the gifts which takes the twist another twist that i want to reveal and there is i saw just this year another korean film one cut of the dead which i don't want to spoil the hook of that one because it's also very very funny i think that's it for film i also kind of want to talk about comic books which you know what i'm going to talk about next then i'm going to talk about the walking dead when you were finishing out i was like there's no way we're not talking about the walking dead the walking dead is zombies now, right? That is now yeah, set yeah. the bar for better or worse of what we are in this day and age with zombies, right? Yeah, it started yeah. off as a really important comic that was made into a show, and the show is still running. Uh, 
it's still running. <laughs> I don't know if anyone is it really. It's still is going. it still going? And I thought not it only ended. is it still running. I thought it was over. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Everyone you know uh. from the beginning is probably dead, but there it's still going. And there are two spinoffs. There is Fear of the Walking Dead, and there's another spinoff coming out from it. I, I can't remember the name, but I don't believe it's out yet. Oh, that's a lot. That's I a lot. so. I, I never got into The Walking Dead, and it all stems from a a memory from the house we lived in in undergrad. I remember everyone was hanging out in the living room watching The Walking Dead. I'd never watched it before. Mm-hmm. And Bumblebee, my rabbit, was not feeling the zombie apocalypse. Like, he was so scared. <laughs> of like the yeah of like the violence and the zombies i remember he like hid under the the couch and i was like oh no bun doesn't like zombies oh no (laughs) poor bun well so many people do though and that's why we keep making them and that's why we're i think we're on season 10 of walking dead that sounds about right yeah is it season 10 i i'm gonna be honest as much as i love horror i haven't seen past season two in that show, comics, it was a show. It also shows up in video games. We also we have The Walking Dead. There is actually really, if you want a really good tale from The Walking Dead, there is a kind of choose-your-own-adventure style game called The Walking Dead. That is really beautiful and heartbreaking. We're talking about this fantasy of this, this apocalyptic life and these zombies. What the game, I think, really thrives on is making you make really impossible choices and showing like just how hard that is actually you know there's no fantasy in this it's really it's really awful and and i think it's a really important game in that way it's on available on everything i think you can still get on your phone anyway there's also the last of us which is also a big cultural video game uh that takes another twist to the zombies but it also explores this bleak apocalypse that you're playing through making tough decisions that's that feels like the new wave that we're in right now is is being obsessed with making tough decisions right (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) and these like interactive things and like it's it's hard but it's but you gotta make the you gotta make the hard choice even though people are gonna get hurt and i'm like yeah i think part of that comes from and this is you know just me kind of philosophizing and spitballing here but i think part of that comes from i think we're in a time where we're deconstructing and breaking down the uh, good versus evil binary and yeah. really pulling away from the idea that anything is is either good or bad. Right. And in doing that, like it would make sense that the act of making tough decisions would be kind of a way of, of us collectively working through the complications of that, you know, because right. very rarely are decisions either good or bad. In fact, most of the time, they're a mix of both. And so I think I think that's might be representative of kind of a bigger understanding and like moving away from that binary approach. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree wholeheartedly. Now we're in this really gray period of what's good or what is bad. We're struggling with that right now. Big yeah, time. Yeah. Or what is life? What is reality? What's ob- objectivity? What's even going on? I don't know, man. Yeah, things that keep me up at night. I don't know. But uh, so that was a very condensed history of zombie films. I left a lot of movies out. I left a lot of, I feel like, discussions and discussions that should have happened <laughs> for each of these movies that they rightly deserved. But I was kind of flying through it. So apologize. You can but, only uh, do so much, my man. That's I can only do. I'm only a man in a spooky cupboard. All right. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> that I comes am. out one time a year. <laughs> but I think I, I, I uh, want to reflect on one thing as we go through, because we started, we talked about it, it starts in this really political place and it ends. And I still think of uh, we're in still a political thing with the, the zombie movies, but the movies that we're seeing in theaters and these big productions are less biting than I think they originally were in the, the Romero days of making these movies. I, I always think about this, especially in this current age of uh, all the Walking Dead overexposure that I feel like we're in right now, is this like sad fact that late in Joan Romero's life, it's around 2016, he couldn't get funding to make an, another movie, a small little sociopolitical zombie movie, because if you're going to make a zombie movie, it had to be on par with uh, like World War Z came out at the same time, which was a $400 million budget, right? <sighs> and he was like, that's not the movie I'm making. I'm making this. And so like, it's sad to see like the, the dude that created this genre couldn't make it because of <laughs> yeah Walking Dead. Yeah, especially, yeah, because yeah, he created this genre and he also was trying to do some justice to some social political themes that are are incredibly yeah. important and yeah, now it's it, it's it's a cultural phenomenon that bigger than that idea Yeah, it's now. bigger than yeah. that idea and it's it's run it's run by money. Like it's run by how much money can we make on this movie? How much merchandise can we sell? Like, yeah, you know, and selling, that's capitalism, yeah, right? And that's hashtag late capitalism is what that is. Yep. So I have just a couple of little things. I like, unlike our, our previous spooky corner episodes, I don't have any like specific paintings or anything with zombies in them. I'm sure they exist, but I do have a couple of little connections with kind of the art world. The first one's really silly and I like don't like it, but I'm just going to bring it up because it's a thing and I'm ready. This is an art podcast. So in contemporary art, like the contemporary art world, there has been a term that has been thrown around over the past handful of years called zombie formalism. And zombie formalism is a term that has been used to describe a popular kind of process-based abstract painting that has taken over I'll just read this example of it that I got from an article that I think, I guess, sums it up. Uh, this work is decorator friendly, especially in a contemporary apartment or house. It feels cerebral and looks hip in ways that flatter collectors, even as it offers no insight into anything at all. It's all done in haggard shades of pale, deployed in uninvented arrangements, replete with self-conscious comments on art, recycling, sustainability, appropriation, processes of abstraction or nature. All this painting employs a similar vocabulary of smudges, stains, spray paint, flecks, spills, splotches, almost monochromatic fields, silk screening, or stenciling. So this is a style that's associated with a lot of young artists fresh out of art school, and it sells pretty well. Like people that have money but don't really like know very much about art will purchase this style of art to decorate their home a lot. And all I could really glean from the couple of articles I read on zombie formalism is that a bunch of art critics are mad about it. Like, yeah. <laughs> and this is just another example in the contemporary art world of art critics being mad and like taking stabs at a certain style of artwork, which is 
a, a thing that's been happening since the beginning of art critics. Like since since the art critic or the art writer first became a thing, that job has been identified by like art critics getting mad at the popular style of art, mm-hmm. giving it a name i.e. zombie formalism, giving it a name that is meant to be derogatory. And then it takes off. Yes, and then it takes off. Like that story and art history is constant. It's it's truly absurd how many times that's happened. What an incredibly (laughs) like Sisyphus level allegory of like, I'm going (laughs) to... I'm going to call out the thing I hate. And then that boulder just goes right down the hill, you know, and you got to push it back up, you know? <laughs> like, yes. I love that so much. Just like, oh man. Over and over again. I promise you it's a constant thing. So this is, I think is probably just another example of it. I don't know how well the term zombie formalism will stand the test of time, but that's a thing that you can look into and incorporate into your arts vocabulary if you so choose. Rad. Rad. Also, now this one I'm excited about. In some of my research, I was finding people that examined zombies as a example of memento mori. And shouts out to the um, the OG Halloween episode, the OG Art History Babes Halloween episode. Our very first Halloween episode was on Memento Mori. As just a, a collective, we love Memento Mori. If you're unfamiliar, Memento Mori is means reminders of death. And the theme of Memento Mori has you been used throughout all of art history to essentially remind viewers like, hey, you're going to die. So take note of that. Enjoy life. Or, I mean, it takes on different meanings. Like some art may be using memento mori to be like, hey, you're going to die. So you should enjoy life while you're here. Other art takes on memento mori to be like, hey, you're going to die. So you should live a good life. So you go to heaven. Mm -hmm. So memento mori is a way to remind you that life is fleeting and that you will die. And it is a very common theme in art. Symbols of memento mori tend to be skulls. Skulls are a huge one. Dying flowers, decaying fruit, mm-hmm. all of these things are symbols of memento mori. And yet some of the research I was finding was examining zombies as another, like a contemporary symbol of memento mori and almost like a contemporary large scale reminder, you know, to the masses that we're going to die. Like, and, and that really, I think, ties into the the concept of the zombie apocalypse particularly, right? right? Because you have this creature, the zombie, that for all intents and purposes is supposed to represent a human that, you know, maybe that isn't quite dead, but isn't quite alive, i.e. undead, right? right? right. Like, it has died. And so it's a way for a human to face death head on, like face death personified, Mm -hmm. right? So I I can definitely see how that can act as a form of memento mori. You could argue that just that's the whole horror genre in general, taking on death, right? (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Insert insert any monster, replace it with into the memento mori thinking. 100%. I think we had a really good conversation about this in Salem. I remember. I bet we did. We had a lot of good spooky conversations. We did. We, we unpacked so much spook in Salem. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember, I remember talking about that though. We were like talking about our personal fears and like our relationship with fear, talking about how all fear is essentially, it's just a, a manifestation of the fear of death, right? 
Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the big one. That's the, the, the granddaddy of them all, right? <laughs> that's the kicker. And so, yeah, I, I like that. I like that a lot that, you know, I think that's a really beautiful way to wrap up. Spooky corner. Spooky corner is like, no. aww. <laughs> it's dead now. It's, it's dead. Oh, this has been so fun. I have... It's been fun. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you to the Art History Babes listeners for listening. This is pretty awesome that people are like spooky things just like me, or that you don't give the time of day to give it a chance. And thank you to uh, the Art History Babes for allowing me to join in for the month of October and the first week of November. <laughs> of course. This was awesome. I loved these conversations. Yeah, I mean, this won't be the last time you're on the show. We'll definitely, there'll, there'll be more opportunities for sure. I mean, as I right. said, spooky season is at 365, 24-7 kind of oh, yeah. lifestyle. Every day is Halloween. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Every day is Halloween. So we can definitely find some more connections and topics to discuss throughout the year. Well, give me a call. Yeah. I'm happy to join of in. Of course, of course. Thank you so much, listeners, for listening. This is really fun. Would love to hear your thoughts and feedback on any of these very rich subjects that we discussed. Also, if you have any suggestions for, you know, next year, Spooky Corner, it's never too early to start planning. So Or next week, right? Come yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. So uh, send us an email at arthistorybabes at gmail.com. Check us out on all the social medias, particularly our Instagram. We'll have some images up on that for you. Head to our website, arthistorybabes.com, for, for additional resources. Uh, we're on YouTube. Oh, definitely check out the YouTube because I'm making, I'm putting together a vlog from our Salem trip. So you guys times. can come along. It was a good time. Um, thank you, Brian. Thank you. Thank you to the spirits of the Halloween season. And the spirit of Willem. Never forget. Oh, never forget. <laughs> Willem. This one goes out to you, Willem. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Bye. They're coming to get you, Barbara! <laughs>